I can do without. I can do without the people in the video store. Which ones? All of them. This is Massive Late Fee with Mike and Mark. Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to Massive Late Fee. My name is Mark. With me as always is my co-host Mike. How you doing, Mike? Not too bad. And yourself? Good. We're doing well here. Good week at the Fee of Massiveness. Uh, this week, it's all about Tulsa Massacre from 1921. But man, what a cracking way to open a television show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mike is re-watching the re-watchman, and I'm watching I, it. I- I'm watching I already rewatched it. I I rewatched it in a week, which for me is insane. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm watching it for the first time. Mike and I have both uh both are fans of the graphic novel and have both read it. And we both hate the movie. We do hate the movie. Uh but first, before we get into to the main topic, uh parents guide game. <laughs> That's still supposed to be a cheer, but Anyway, the uh, the Parents Guide game is our very popular segment, and this week, Mike, I've got one that I'm not I'm not entirely sure you've seen again, but I think it's I think it's famous enough of a movie that you can get it even if you haven't seen it. So we're gonna start out with profanity. Uh, there are a few uses of hell, damn, and damn it. Piss off and oh my god are used a couple of times. A couple of slurs are uttered, and then it says in quotation marks, jackass and jerk off. I don't know how oh, they're Lord. I don't know how those are slurs, but hmm. X versus Sever. Ooh, that is close. Uh one more in profanity, which is is Deemed mild by the good folks at IMDb. One bleeped use of fuckers when the main character is watching a TV in a shop window. Mallrats? No. Let's see. Let's go to drugs, alcohol, and smoking. The main character smokes cigars on occasion. There are some occasional scenes of people drinking in a bar. Beer is consumed socially. Hmm. Uh, Cobra. No. You see that movie, Mark Cobra? I've never seen Cobra. No, that's the the Sylvester Stallone movie, right? Yeah, it's pretty good. That's a good. That's probably the best recommendation you'll ever get. Mike. No, it's a fun movie. I wouldn't say it's uh, great, but it, it's a lot of fun action. I, it's a classic of the eighties. And it has uh, Sylvester Stallone chewing on a matchstick the entire time. <laughs> like he picks his teeth with a matchstick. He's so tough. Wow, that's great. What a what a what. A... If there's a if there's a the possibility of something catching on fire, fuck it. <laughs> oh, all right. Violence and gore. Gun violence includes a lot of references, such as "shoot to kill" and "dead or alive." Weapons are frequently mentioned threateningly, occasionally pointed at characters. A few... Robocop? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I can't read the last line of this without, <laughs> without giving it away. But uh, let's see. A lot of fantasy slash science fiction violence throughout, 
which is two words apparently, showing people incapacitated and injured. Oh, through- this is Total Recall, right? No. No? Because no. oh, I, 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 I mean, the cigars makes you think it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right. I was thinking Total Recall, but no. But yeah, people uh, incapacitated and injured through blunt force or with rays, uh, but without apparent fatalities. There is a bar fight where ice picks are brandished. <laughs> and another fight in a diner. Characters are kidnapped, manhandled, and dragged. Some injuries are obvious, but not dwelt upon or bloody. You know, I really don't know if I've seen this movie. It doesn't sound familiar at all. Let's see. Let's go to sex and nudity. Yes, please. There are several views of a main character in lingerie. There's no human nudity in this film. Hmm. Howard the Duck? Yes! <laughs> okay. I don't remember that movie well. There's no human nudity. That, that, that was obviously what gave it away. <laughs> but you can robot for a second. <laughs> now, see, what was that movie uh, that you reviewed uh, for, like, Educating Mike that was, like, about the robot just, like, jizzing everywhere? Oh, um, yeah, what the fuck is that movie? Cherry 2000? Something like that, yeah, yeah. At a hot tub center, several couples are running around in skimpy swimsuits and are making out, but there is no human nudity. (laughs) There are, however, several scenes with duck nudity showing duck breasts, including nipples. Yeah, that that seemed necessary. Why would they have nipples? They're birds. I don't know. (laughs) They don't nurse their young. How much do you want to bet that George Lucas has that at his house somewhere? Right. Yeah, there's some. <laughs> yeah, the the animatronic uh, duck for sure. That's in Skywalker Ranch in the bedroom. Right. Oh, God, George Lucas. He's like, but honey, it's not human nudity. <laughs> and no, I'm still not ready to have sex for the first time. I like to let Leia watch. That's, uh. what, that's what he calls the duck. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yes, that's something perverse. That's like why in Star Wars you have like a brother and sister making out. Mm-hmm. Spoiler. Right. Lucas, you sick bastard. Come on the show, though. We want to talk to you. I'm sure I, he's... I, like... I, don't, I wouldn't have anything to ask or do anything I'm going to read him. You know what I would do? I would ask only about uh, American Graffiti. American Graffiti, yeah. <laughs> that's the only thing. Or Red Tails, I guess. Or be like, come on, you have that duck, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just ask him how are the duck questions. <laughs> what were you thinking? You already asked that. I didn't get a satisfactory answer. Oh, did you really sell Pixar because this movie bombed so bad? Whoa. I love. All right. I would love to talk to George Lucas only about Howard yeah. the Duck, though. <laughs> yeah. I- I, I don't really feel that I had anything to ask him. I, sometimes he sometimes he comes up with some interesting stuff, though, even though his movies suck. I saw an interview with him one time where he was talking about how the state of the movie industry, and he was like, uh, you know, there used to Turn be... Turn everything into a toy. <laughs> he goes, it, it used to be that, uh, you know, if you equate filmmaking to gambling, you'd hire a, you know, a brash young gambler, and they'd come in... And they, you'd give him uh, fifty million or whatever it was, like two million dollars or something like that. And he's like, uh, you know, and 
and his job would be to turn it into four million dollars and and he'd go and you know and do it and everything now it's like they have the committee and they're like okay well you're gonna play roulette because uh you know our 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 panels determine that roulette is going to be the best way for us to you know make our money back and and don't bet on red because our our group uh, says that uh, indicates that the audience doesn't like red you know <laughs> and and that, like, that group is, that group is uh, headed by Wesley Snipes <laughs> right exactly you're going to bet red well <laughs> i had some advice for you my friend <laughs> oh man passenger 57 what a great movie I assume. Um, all, the all, literally the only thing I know it's about okay. the line. <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's interesting to hear him talk about that. I don't think that he necessarily follows his own advice, but he's right that a lot of times when a writer director has a singular vision for a movie, the movie ends up turning out better than a committee making a film. But I don't I don't really see that a lot in his work. Star Wars is doesn't seem like it was made. Maybe The Empire Strikes Back seems like a singular person's vision, but it's Irving Kirshner's vision. <laughs> it's because he's the one that directed it. Oh, or Lawrence Kasdan. Anyway. Someone's probably cracking up over that, Mark. Yeah. Yeah, someone found that hilarious. I think Irving Kirshner's still alive, so maybe he is. Actually, I think, actually, I think he's dead. Speaking of yes. deaths, uh, did you see who died? Joel Schumacher. Oh, did he really? Yeah, the the Batman Forever. And... That's my my wife and I were just talking about Batman earlier. Did you hear the other uh, Batman news that uh, mm-hmm. supposedly Michael Keaton's going to be in the Flash movie yeah. as Batman? Yep, Flashpoint. Yeah, but uh, but she and I were both uh, saying that because I thought her, I thought she only liked Michael Keaton as Batman. She said she likes Christian Bale too. Mm-hmm. But her and I both agree that Val Kilmer was not a bad Batman. I mean, he had blonde hair, which is weird for Batman. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he he was he's he's a good actor, obviously. But he's not bad. He's he's got like a darker personality too, you know. Mm-hmm. So he'd be good you know, if he had darker hair. But it's just, I mean, that movie was such a weird movie. It was like almost like a, a modern rendition of like the old campy Adam West uh, Ward series. Exactly. That's 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 exactly what it reminds me of. It's all neon and just crazy comic booky. Yeah, but they're just acknowledging that they're all taking acid because, like, the way, like, the... I mean, it's such a weird-looking movie, too. It's so odd. Everything about it is weird. Not in a bad way, but it's just so... It's not what you expect, especially after seeing uh, Batman and Batman Returns, you know, from uh, Tim uh, Curry? No, that's not Burton. it. Tim Burton. Tim Burton. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. It's it's definitely a tonal departure, for sure. But I did like I did like Val Kilmer as you know in that role and i I like val kilmer as an actor but yeah i think that it's interesting keaton coming back to to do it obviously dc is taking chances with with different things i i think the idea of a flashpoint movie is interesting but i don't i don't know they built the world enough to be like oh and here's an alternate one (laughs) Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't understand why they don't just pay the Marvel guys like double what they're getting from Marvel and hire them to do their movies. Right. Exactly. I mean, it, they'll make a profit still. Right. Know? Yeah. Marvel's made something in the neighborhood of I think like I don't know forty billion dollars or something like that. That's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of money. <laughs> a lot of money for um, the Disney Corporation. Are they still having that Ezra Miller guy? Uh, you know. Uh, be flash because wasn't he like in some kind of like bar fight or something like that with a woman yeah yeah i I don't know i don't know if it's still going to be him or if it's going to be there's some kid does it on the tv 
And it might be him. Are, I don't know. Are you 80 years old? <laughs> well, I don't know what his name is. And I don't watch I know you shows. don't. Does he look like that kid who was on your lawn the other day? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, I don't know. He's some, some fetus. See, I feel it's a. Uh, I feel that if this if this uh, Ezra Miller guy wasn't like you know like a uh, gay or like bi or whatever, mm-hmm. there's like some like s- straight guy. He, he probably would be like canceled over this, you know. Oh yeah, probably. But it, it like no one really. It looked like he was like punching a woman in the video. I saw. I could be wrong. Did you not see? Did you see this video? Yeah, I saw the video. We actually talked about it on the show. Yeah, I don't. I. I it's see. That's that's. I mean, I, I, I'm looking for everyone to have equal treatment. I don't want any group to have. You know, more leeway than any other group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, come on, DC. You're better than Ezra. <laughs> Apparently, the guy's name is Grant Gustin. Oh, come on. Yeah, that's his name, Grant Gustin. He, it's like he's a... It's like he is a comic book. That's like a very comic book name. Yeah, exactly. But he was born in 1990. So good, uh, good for him. He's older than I thought he was. Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, his his spouse is Andrea, quote L.A. Toma. She, her, she has a nick an official nickname, and it's L.A. Andrea L.A. Toma. That's dumb, and I don't like it. <laughs> I agree. Oh my god. Uh, why why? <laughs> Andrea L A Toma. No, I heard uh one time uh like uh, someone was like, you know, walking by Joel Schumacher and they recognized him mm-hmm. and they yelled uh, Batman sucks and he yelled back I know. <laughs> no Batman forever sucks and he that's what I meant. That's funny. Oh my gosh. Andrea Toma is apparently a physical therapist. <laughs> You mean Andrea L. A. Toma? Yeah. Yep. You mean you don't have a uh, you don't have a nickname for your physical therapist? <laughs> Doctor Doctor Latoma. What's up? Rewind. <laughs> She's got an Instagram. She has almost a million followers as a physical of, therapist. Of course, she has an Instagram. Who? What physical therapist doesn't? Oh, she's got a, she's got a thing about uh, tight ha- hamstring tightness and plantar fasciitis. One of her Instagrams is just a bowl of cherries. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I had plant plantar fasciitis uh, when I used to work at the casino because I was on my feet all fucking day. That sucks. Yeah. Oh, there goes she, your career in the NBA. Right. Apparently, she's a full body dynamic stretch. She's not bad looking. Oh, good job, Grant Gustin. <laughs> Yes. Uh, Possibly the Flash if the other Flash gets cancel cultured. Yep. Hopefully he does. But I'm sure it'll be uh, the fault of drugs or dehydration or uh, mm-hmm. they use some slur against them that we didn't see on camera. Wink, wink. Right. Speaking of uh, drugs or dehydration or exhaustion, did you hear that D.L. Hughley collapsed on stage due to exhaustion? Yeah, I didn't know. It. They said he was uh, diagnosed with uh, COVID-19. Oh really? Okay, so I yeah, I, so I don't know if that's what I don't know if that's a cause of exhaustion or not. I I heard that um, I, I hadn't I just heard it basically when it happened, but I heard that uh, 
that he collapsed and they were like, oh, yeah, it's exhaustion. And I was like, yeah, they're covering something up. Because uh, anytime they say exhaustion, it's like, yeah, no one's no one's so exhausted that they just collapse doing a comedy show. But I'm Bush. Boom. <laughs> But yeah, you're doing a one hour of a comedy act that you've already perfected and are just basically repeating is so tiring. Right. But yeah, COVID-19 makes sense. Yep. Oh, I see. Yeah, he's an old, he's, I mean, he's older than he looks. I Mm -hmm. mean, you know, he's like probably mid to late fifties, I I would think. Yeah. 57. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, he's, he looks very young, um, but um, but yeah, cause remember in Kings of Comedy, that was like 20 years ago and Mm -hmm. he's in his probably 30 then. Yeah. I like. I, I think he has a lot of good points. I don't find him especially funny. Kind of like uh, not as bad as Bill Hicks, but like uh, yeah. Like I think he's like he's got a lot of good points, but he's you know he, he's kind of funny. I don't find him hilarious though. But I mean, I'm glad he seems like a good guy. So I'm you know, hopefully he'll recover and all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. The place where he collapsed is called Zanies. <laughs> yeah, that's. So like, you don't want to die to Zanies. Unfortunate, but Zanies to remain closed for comprehensive cleaning after Deal Hughley put, test positive for COVID nineteen. So, uh, you know, rapid recovery to you, uh, Deal Hughley. Yes. And Ezra Miller, go fuck yourself. <laughs> I assume I don't know. Like it, it uh, I saw the video and everything. It certainly looked like he was choking a woman. I, I guess I don't know if. Uh, I don't know whatever happened to that. All of a sudden, COVID nineteen broke out, and people were like, "Ezra, who?" Yeah, see, it's it's so weird. Like, uh, I mean, it's obviously not. Well, like, it's like with the whole Gary Condit thing when nine eleven happened. There were a couple of things that were like, you know, had loose ends that I never really felt were resolved when the COVID nineteen, you know, thing hit. Seriously, like Je- like Jeffrey Epstein. Are they still investigating his death as suspicious? Right. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to know that too. Uh Epstein. Yeah, the, we, know we, we know where we might be able to find an email about it. <laughs> hey, North Korea. Hey, by the way, uh, speaking of like stories that never got resolved. Hey, North Korea, uh, we know you're listening to us because you listen to everything. Is Kim Jong-un alive? Is he dead? What the fuck is going on? Oh, he's, he's alive. But then there's a lot of stories about his sister, like getting more control. So maybe he's not well. Yeah. I don't know. Is he is he brain dead? I don't know. I mean, he was walking around and stuff. No, that's good. Yeah, he could have been photoshopped, obviously. Kim Jong-un's princess sister is turning into the Terminator. <laughs> that's the New York Post headline. I mean, uh, how many... Yeah, I'm not going to say this. We'll be banned in North Korea. Oh, no. We don't want that to happen. No. We have strong ties with the North Korean uh, people. I was going to say government, but that, that'll probably put us in trouble. Or will it? Dennis Robbins seems to be okay. That's true. Yeah. I mean, we don't. Like, that's obviously a joke. Isn't but... it kind of funny how, how actually Dennis Robin did bring a lot of attention to North Korea, and he probably did help. Yeah, I would imagine that he did. He's come a long way from putting a uh, a shotgun in his, in his mouth. mouth <laughs> in the uh, parking lot at <laughs> Robert Hills. Yep. <laughs> We all have, Mark. We all have. Uh, good for you, Dennis. Did you ever see? You ever see his? Uh, it's like a TV movie or something about his life. No, but I did see the one about Isaiah Thomas, and all I really remember is his mom says that they're the Thomas Gang when like they want to join a gang or something like that. <laughs> We're the Thomas Gang. Yeah, do you remember that? <laughs> 
No, I didn't see that one. Ben, ben Cole would know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but but Dennis Rodman's was horrible because they would they'd show a scene in his life and then it would cut to modern day Dennis Rodman talking directly to camera and he'd be like and you know what things were just about to get interesting <laughs> it was horrible hey do you remember that a uh, cartoon uh that was like a, it had like sports stars like Wayne Gretzky was in it uh Michael Jordan uh Bo Jackson yes yes what I was do it called? something all-stars I think or something like that yeah I think I read about that recently and I think it wasn't even their voices, like the celebrity, you know, the the sports stars. Well, yeah, that doesn't pro, uh, pro stars wasn't. It? I think that's what's called, right? Pro stars. I don't know. Let, let me see. Um, da, da, da. You think the guy who played Bo Jackson got paid twice as much though? <laughs> well, he did. He had to do double duty, right? Oh, uh, yes. Pro stars is a cartoon television show featured on Sunday morning cartoon. That what does that mean? <laughs> Featured on Saturday morning cartoon. What? You know what that means. That aired on NBC from September fourteenth to December seventh, nineteen ninety one. Three famous and popular professional athletes from the nineteen nineties appear on the show in live action and as fictional superhero characters: Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, and Bo Jackson. Uh, it says starring Michael Jackson, Bo or Michael Jordan, <laughs> Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. Starring Michael Jackson, Bo Jordan. Uh, No, starring Michael Jordan, Bo Jackson, and Wayne Gretzky. But then it says, the voices of Dorian Harewood, Dave Fenoy, Townsend Coleman, Deanna Burroughs, and Susan Silo. Susan Silo? I don't even want to know. What a name. Apparently she was in McHale's Navy. Oh, jeez. The uh, Nelsie, Nelson Grammer, oh, God, Kelsey Grammer one or the... Uh, no, no, no. Like, she's she's set, she's 77 right now, so, like, the, the old one. Sure. The, uh, what's his name? Uh, Ernest Borgnine. Yeah, Ernest Borgnine, that's right. You got it. Yeah, so interesting. But, yeah, because I think they just had, like, little vignettes of them in live action at the beginning of the episode and stuff. Yeah. Let's see. The The first episode is called The Slugger. If we can find Pro Stars, we should do this for dumpster diving. The first episode's called The Slugger Returns. The Pro Stars come to the aid of Jimmy Hanks. That's that's Tom Hanks's uh, little brother. <laughs> when his father, Slugger Hanks, is captured by a mad scientist named Clockwork DeLorange. Jeez. <laughs> Who is using remote-controlled robots, including one of dead baseball star Cleats Robinson, as part of a plot to capture the commissioner of baseball. What? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's one of the most convoluted and ridiculous plots I've ever heard in my life. Saw it coming. <laughs> the second episode is called Short John's Revenge. A pirate supervillain named Short John Silver instead of Long John Silver. Wait, was that pulled from the headlines at the time from Long Dong Silver? <laughs> yeah, probably. 
<laughs> sails into. They find a clue: a single hair on a can of cola. <laughs> I love that they couldn't. Did they say Coke in the testimony, or did they say cola? Did they have to say cola? I, I don't know. I think it was Coke. Oh, uh, anyway, that's some fucking advertising, there, friends. Oh shit, tastes good even with uh, Supreme Court Justice's pubic hair on it. Uh, Short John Silver sails into an idyllic Caribbean island, imprisons the inhabitants, and steals—and he steals the ancient pirate treasure that they had discovered. No, no report on how the pro stars factor into this. Isn't this out of their jurisdiction? I mean, they're all American (laughs) professional sports stars. Do they really have you know any right to go to the Caribbean? Are they vacationing on a Caribbean island? Are they are they scouting out new baseball stars? You should go on the Wikipedia link and just call these fucking editors out for making such a shitty article. Oh my god! I know. I love how they've they've got a basketball. I bet Wayne Gretzky's mullet has a better article about it. <laughs> they've got a basketball guy. They've got a hockey guy, and then they were like, "Fuck it, we can o- we can only hire one more dude. Just get someone that plays both football and baseball." They're like, okay, Deion Sanders or Oh man. I think that was a little early for Deion Sanders. Uh, I, I don't feel there's any more of those dual sports athletes, and that's kind of uh kind of sad. I agree. I, I don't know that would anyone allow them to do it anymore. Mm. They said the league seems so protective of their their athletes. I don't know if they'd allow them to do it anymore. I'm surprised we don't have like a football slash basketball, you know, duel. I mean, I guess the the seasons overlap quite a bit, but yeah. I mean, so I think wasn't Charles Oakley the Heisman Trophy winner? Ooh, I don't remember if he won the Heisman Trophy, but he was a very good football player. See, I believe he did win the Heisman, but I could be wrong. But also, even what's his name? Uh, well, this is is actually the classic. I think it was ah uh, shit. Uh, was it Lamar Jackson who was like you know they tried to recruit him to play uh, baseball yeah. at a very high level? Yep. Yeah. I mean, that, that again, is like the classic. The seasons don't really overlap unless you're in the playoffs in baseball, and then it's only at the very beginning of the season. Yeah, see, I I would think that that would be okay, but... I, I mean, the Fal- or Falcons, the uh, the Braves were in the uh, playoffs quite a bit uh, while uh, Sanders, you know, was an active player. Mm-hmm. So and I think he played baseball for quite a while. Like, it, and then finally he's like, yeah, football is the sport for me, but I mean... He, you know, he must have really enjoyed playing both. I can't imagine the toll that paid on his body. Like, you know, most football players would get some sort of rest. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, obviously, from this from this era, he didn't do it, but one that could have, I suppose, is Kirk Gibson. You know, he was yeah. a, he was a very good tight end, but that's a that that'd be a hard position to play. I think, um, you know, and play another sport at the same time. Yeah, very brutal. Mm-hmm. I could see someone doing a, you know, being a quarterback or like maybe a cornerback or a wide receiver, but anywhere when you where you have to block and things like that, I think would be hard because that takes a toll on your body. Yeah, but he he made the right call because I mean, if I if 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 I was for whatever reason talented enough to play whatever sport, I'd choose baseball because that's the oh, yeah. the one with the least uh, the least amount of impact where you can play the longest. Right. I want to be a left-handed relief pitcher. That'd be the best job in all sports. Absolutely, yes. The only, only drawback would be you'd have to watch a lot of baseball and you'd have to be left-handed. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
Yep, that, those would be the only two drawbacks. But yeah, that that would be a sweet gig for like ten seasons. You know, yeah, yeah. You would you'd make Reti- enough in ten- retire. Yep, you'd make enough in ten seasons to to set you up. Especially if you made good decisions with your money. Yeah. Oh. You know, unless you spend it all on tattoos like Brandon Inge. <laughs> he had I to stop those... having kids because he couldn't afford the tattoos. <laughs> oh God. What a douchebag. I just saw I speaking of sports, I saw an article today that I thought was kind of interesting. And it talked about the time when the Pistons might have gotten Allen Iverson 10 years earlier after they traded Grant Hill uh, for Ben Wallace and Chucky Atkins. Apparently they were exploring a trade with, for Allen Iverson that would have sent Stackhouse and Jerome Williams away and they would have gotten Iverson in return. It was a multi-team deal, but the, they would have gotten Iverson. Would they have lost Ben Wallace though? No. Ben Wallace would have stayed, so would Chucky Atkins, and they would have gotten Iverson during basically the the prime of his career. And they were like, you know, the article basically said, hey, you know, how would this have impacted it? Would they have, you know, because they said, hey, they won, they won 50 games with Jerry Stackhouse that year and Ben Wallace, and would they have, you know, they obviously, I think Iverson averaged over 31 points a game that year. You know, they, they could have easily been a better team with him maybe they would have yeah i don't think so yeah the thing is is they you they traded Stackhouse and they traded jerome williams later to get corliss williamson and richard hamilton and then if i if iverson's here obviously billups doesn't sign as a prop or at least probably doesn't sign as a free agent because he's not going to start at point guard if he's if he signs here so i don't know it, it seems like they wouldn't have they wouldn't have built the what they would have needed for a championship team. I don't think Iverson and Ben Wallace alone would have been enough to to beat the Lakers, for instance. I feel that the strength of that team was that, I mean, they had a lot of good players. I wouldn't say they had, I mean, is there a, a single great player on that team? I mean, I guess you could say, you know, Ben Wallace, as far as, you know, defense is a great player. But mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know. Are there any all-star or, you know, Hall of Famers on that team? Ben Wallace is the closest, and I, I don't know that I'd put him in the Hall of Fame, but he's probably the the closest of that group. Everyone else was very good and solid, but you know, it's if you put them up against the the nineteen eighty nine Pistons team, I mean that team that team had Hall of Famers on it. The, yeah, the, for sure, including Dennis uh, Rodman previously the, mentioned. Yeah, the the O four team really didn't. They had a lot of really good players that played really well together as a team and played excellent team defense but yeah that's that's 100 percent what it was is their cohesion as a team i mean if you had Allen iverson you know out there mm-hmm. i mean he's you know somewhat selfish i mean look at Car- carmelo right. anthony you know he was you know he some people lament the fact that we didn't get carmelo anthony but i mean what has carmelo anthony ever done you know him aside from pat his own satellite right exactly I mean, I, Allen Iverson doesn't even show for practice. You think he's going to, you know, be there long enough, you know, to suffer and, you know, gel with a team, you know, just go through the playoffs and, you know, not make it. Then you have to, you know, trade away for, you know, a key player. I, I don't think so. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it would have been a mistake. It's one of those things where, you know, they tried to do it. Dumars tried to do it because I think, you know, they I can understand their reason. paper. Yeah, why yeah. not? Yeah, I can understand their reasoning at the time. They just got rid of Grant Hill. This would have 
excited the fan base, probably brought more people in and improved their team at the time. But it's one of those things where it's like, hey, you know, it, it's a good thing it didn't work out. Apparently what happened was the uh, coming over in the deal would have been a center. I can't remember his name, but uh, like a backup center from Philadelphia as well. And he would have needed to waive his $1.2 million guarantee in order to make the trade go through. And he said he looked at Detroit and he said, uh, you know, and what they had on the roster. And he said, I don't think we'll be better off there than we would be in Philadelphia. So he declined to waive that uh, that uh, guarantee and that, that torpedoed the deal. <laughs> Nice. So, I mean that that I think that worked out best for for the Pistons. Probably worked out best for Philadelphia too, honestly, because they went to they went to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think the next year after that, uh, they didn't win, but at least they got there. Or they went? No, they went to the NBA Finals, and they lost. Yeah, you might be right. But anyway, so oh, do you have an IMDb game for me? That's that's the question. I, I do. Okay. Well, let's do that, and then we'll talk about uh, Miss Knight. Sure. Misty Knight. A mild sex scene that starts at 46 minutes in and ends at 47 minutes in. (laughs) That is a hell of a mild scene, one minute long. Okay, Mr. Stamina. Um, hmm. Let's see. I'll say, don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. The dishes are done, man, but that is not a correct answer. <laughs> Sorry, this is a funny sentence, though. Okay. Two men fight, and it ends when one of them is impaled on a piece of wood from furniture. <laughs> wood from furniture. Uh, hmm. I will say dead alive. No. Is that the Peter Jackson joint? Um, no. Oh, yes. Actually, yes. Yes. He did make that movie. Yeah. Never seen it. But from what I've heard about it, that's a good guess. A woman accidentally blows up a car with a bazooka. Whoopsie doodle. <laughs> a woman accidentally blows up a car with a bazooka. Uh, commando? Commando! Oh, nice! Very nice. I was trying to think of all the movies that had bazookas in them. What about Bazooka Joe the movie? That's true. I could have guessed that one. Or did you ever see the... Not Richie Rich. Uh, what's it? Uh, Archie. Did you ever see the Archie live action movie? It's like Archie's no. Reunion or something like that. No, I think I, I, I know of its existence. I haven't seen it, though. I I saw it, you know, in I think it's the maybe the early '90s when it came out, like 1990 or something like that. The only thing I remember about it is that he still couldn't choose between Betty and Veronica, and there was a scene where Veronica appeared in lingerie, and he he wasn't sure what to do. My God, I mean, there's an obvious solution here. Yeah, absolutely. As uh, as shown in the movie Mallrats. <laughs> Oh, here it is. Archie to Riverdale and back again. 1990. It claims it's a comedy. Uh, Let's see. It's a live action made for television comedy film based on comic book characters published by Archie Comics. 
It was it was produced by Dick Entertainment and premiered on NBC Sunday Night at the Movies on May 6th, 1990. On the cockshaft hour. Yep, exactly. And you know what I wish was in more movies? Hmm. That giant face from the how do I know if I'm really in love uh, fucking PSA. <laughs> People just kind of like floated into scenes of movies. Oh my god, that would be great! <laughs> I would love to see like that during the speech and during the speech in Glengarry Glenn Ross. You just see it like kind of peeking. <laughs> Coffee is for closes only. Ah, you you really are in love. <laughs> oh my god, this. What the fuck? I've never seen this before in my life. So Christopher Rich uh, is the person who played. Oh, that's where I recognize him from. He's the person that played Archie in that Archie movie. <clears throat> He's best known for his roles on Murphy Brown and Reba. He was Reba's ex-husband on Reba. I don't know you if you've Reba. I don't know if you've ever seen Reba, but I've seen Reba. <clears throat> okay, she's got to take care of her her. Her children, or whatever, however she says it, I don't know. Um, but anyway, so this must be because of the pandemic. Going through his filmography, you know, it, like it, it says the year and the movie and everything. The last one is Land of the Free, where he's playing Kirk Davis. It's in pre-production, and the year is twenty, and then two question marks. We know what's happening this hundred years, but we don't know when. Great. I like that somebody bothered to update that. Oh, my God. 21. We don't know. Do you think there's somebody like out there like desperately calling someone in the middle of the night and be like, make sure you update the uh, the IMDb page. We don't know when it's going to be done. Yeah. Get uh, get Archie on this. Yeah, whoever does. The, the, the people that do I am the the IMDb stuff and the Wikipedia stuff? I I I guess hats off to you, but I don't understand. I don't understand your passion. I understand Wikipedia, but IMDb I do not get. And I like how there's like argument over like you know how many people find shit like severe. Yes, <laughs> it's just a complete shit show. Uh, it is a shit show over at IMDb, but that's why we love you guys. Keep up the good work, or else we'd have a little bit less content for our show. We have one thing that we sometimes forget about less. Yep, exactly. <laughs> but speaking of things that we forget about, uh, I cannot forget about talking about The Watchmen, because I watched the first episode of The Watchmen. So I didn't get to see this when it first came out. I didn't have HBO. Now I've got HBO Max. Which I do like. I probably use it more than any of the other streaming services, including Netflix. And I, I use Netflix quite a bit, but I I watch a lot of stuff on HBO Max. You know, I think I may have uh, accidentally gotten it twice. Like I, I ordered it through like cable and on like uh, my phone or something. Oh, okay. So I couldn't remember my password one day, so I just had to order it again. I don't <laughs> know what's going on. <laughs> That's how much money Mike's got. <laughs> No, no, I think I think I'm on a free trial. I need to figure it out one day and cancel one of them. Okay. <laughs> if anyone needs a free a free HBO Max account, Mike's got an extra one. Um, <laughs> but yes, I didn't watch. I'd rather it. have two HBO Max accounts and one Disney account. <laughs> 
but, so I didn't I didn't watch this uh, when it first came out. But as as mentioned at the beginning of the show, I do like Alan Moore's The Watchmen. And uh, if I can still call it that, I guess the graphic novel, I can still attribute to him. No, you're only allowed to say it's by Dave Gibbons because uh, <laughs> Alan Moore wants no credit. Right. But anyway, so I, I do enjoy Dave Gibbons' work. And and I like that graphic novel a lot. Like, as I said, Mike and I both don't like the... The, the well, Zack Snyder joint. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Zack Snyder. What's what's fucked up is the opening scene to that is easily one of my favorite things I've ever watched. It's yeah. so amazing, but the rest of the movie fucking sucks. Yep, agreed. <laughs> agreed. And it's hard to say why. I mean, it's it's basically like he just kind of gets the gist of it. Which for the Watchmen's, uh, this is something we'll be going back to over and over. It's the theme. Uh, detail is very important. Absolutely, absolutely. So. For those of you unaware, uh, the Watchman basically tells the story of an alternate future, where or an well alternate past actually. Um, it was an alternate present at the time, I believe. Yeah, uh, yeah, because I think it was written in like eighty five and eighty six, and I think that's when that takes place. But in an alternate past where superheroes basically made themselves known, I think in nineteen thirty nine, and they're because. They made themselves known. It altered the course of history in, in certain ways, most notably that the United States won the Vietnam War with the assistance of the only really actual superpowered superhero. Uh, Dr. Yeah, that's really that's really the big difference between reality and you know this alternate reality is that uh, in the fifties, a nuclear slash atomic scientist. Uh, mm-hmm basically had a, a deadly lab experiment where it pulled all his uh, molecules apart and he was able to reform them. And now he basically can do anything, any character, he, he can manipulate matter itself at the same right. time. Yeah, exactly. So Dr. Manhattan helped uh, the United States win the Vietnam War in 1971, I think, is when it ended. And then um, uh, the you know, Watergate scandal never came to light. And they, yeah, there's a there's a mention of two dead reporters in a uh, in a garage parking garage somewhere. Yep, and, and they, they, they it, it, it's kind of eerie. They can't quite remember his name. Uh, Richard Nixon's elected for a third term. Yep, because he won the Vietnam War, of course. Yeah, they repeal the term limits. Nixon gets elected again, and he's still president in eighty six when the when the the graphic novel takes place. Yeah, the um, um there's also the um. Uh, sorry, uh, there's this act ca- passed called the Keen Act, which outlaws mm-hmm. vigilantism. Yeah. You can only be a gov- government-sanctioned vigilante. And as far as we know, the only ones are the comedian, who's basically superpowers are he's like a, a badass thug. Yeah. And then Dr. Manhattan also works, you know, doing various experiments. And basically the government does what they can to placate him because he's like actually the ultimate deterrent against like nuclear attack by the Russians because mm-hmm. he basically is better than any A-bomb. He could, you know, melt them in his hands or make them, you know, vanish if you'd like. Yeah, exactly. And and the comedian is killed at the beginning of the graphic novel and Rorschach go, who's another one of the vigilantes, he basically kind of inve- starts investigating this death and 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 he theorizes that there's somebody trying to kill all the the old super superheroes. <clears throat> and the the graphic novel's great. If you haven't read it, you definitely should. It's 
especially if you know it'll make this it, it'll it very much informs the series mm-hmm. you can enjoy the series i imagine quite a bit without having read the uh, graphic novel but the mm-hmm. graphic novel just adds so much depth and backstory and yeah it it it, it, it honestly they're they're intertwined i mean you can't you could do the graphic novel without the series but if you're watching the series without the graphic novel you're really missing out on much of it yeah, exactly. And this series, this series is a continuation not of the movie but of the graphic novel. And there's there's a, a there's a, a scene in here in the fir- very first episode. I I think purposely put in there to basically say, hey, this is a continuation from the graphic novel and not the movie. That because there's one glaring difference, but well, not there's one difference between the graphic novel and the and the movie, uh, which is that uh, Ozymandias' plan is to release, to simulate an alien invasion so that the East and West come together, so the Soviets and the, and the U.S. come together against a common enemy. Yeah, yeah he drops a psychic, uh, psychically enhanced, because psychics exist in this world as mm. well. Yep. Like, he basically takes a lot of their, like, brain, he basically grafts a psychic brain of, like, a giant squid and teleports it directly into Manhattan, just exploding everywhere, and, like, it causes a psychic shockwave. People have nightmares for months, if not years. You know, like you said, it, it, combi- it unites. Like, it's actually kind of a quote from Ronald Reagan that if, you know, we saw an alien, both the Soviets and the, uh, you know, United States would instantly, you know, get rid of their differences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It literally is what happens in this. Like, you know, you see, like, there's a little hints of, like, you know, they're working together. There's a restaurant called Borscht Burger. Um, and we open up on, on the Watchmen, uh, the, the TV series. The very first scene is a brutal 100% actually historically accurate i mean obviously not the same characters and stuff but this right. is a historically accurate event uh where um tulsa in 1921 basically just a bunch of white people came up and just started killing black people yeah uh I, a district uh called black wall street uh in the is the greenwood district of tulsa uh over memorial day uh in 1921 the a a black kid uh who was i think he was a shoe shine boy he was accused of assaulting a white uh, female elevator oper- operator, and he was taken into custody. They were, you know, they arrested him. They're, they were going to have a trial and everything. There were rumors spread that uh, white people were going to lynch him. Instead, a group, a huge group of white people showed up at the jailhouse, and then a group of black people showed up to protect him, basically. The sheriff said, hey, you know, we've got it under control. He's not going to get lynched. I'll, I'll make sure of it. And uh, the black people went to leave peacefully. And one of the white people, I guess, tried to grab one of their guns. Somebody shot. And then all fucking hell broke loose. And uh, a bunch of white white people, including in Ku Klux uh, Klan apparel and stuff like that, uh, descended upon this black wall street that they had been jealous of for quite a, a while because black people had been uh, very financially prosperous in this area. They used their own private planes as is depicted in the first, in the first scene to, you know, shoot, drop bombs, stuff like that. Uh, the national guard had to be called in martial law declared uh, until it was, you know, and they were finally able to, to get everything straightened out. Uh, the you know i think the 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 black shop owners and everything lost i want to say it was something like it was basically the equivalent of like 32 million dollars worth of of property uh and everything for which they were never compensated for uh and yeah just a horrific uh actual true thing that happened in history um 
like I said, I've only seen the first episode so far, but I'm going to assume that the series basically takes place in Tulsa. Uh, so it's, you know, obviously it connects to to Tulsa's past, uh, you know, to this alternate future. So, yeah, but an absolutely harrowing scene. Oh, yeah. One of the many overlooked uh, atrocities against people of color in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so it, it opens up a little boy is basically like, you know, put into a crate. His mother's like the piano operator at the movie theater. He's watching his favorite movie with uh, Black Lawman, Bass Reeves, which, you know, at the time, uh, Bass Reeves, again, a, another historical character who's a real person. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at that time, I mean, unheard of to have in a movie. Um, he's a, he escapes, he, you know, peeks out. He's almost shot a couple times. Uh, you know, he sees like, you know, basically like, like you said, planes dropping bombs. It's just horrific scene after horrific scene. Uh, he gets, he gets, he gets knocked out and he wakes up and he's like in this field and he sees this whole city on fire. Mm-hmm. Yep. And there's a little baby, uh, that, uh, was in the car as well, who also somehow lived. He picks the the child up and then he's walking away from like in the back. It's very incredibly well-framed scene too. the whole city's on fire in, in the background. And he's, you know, walking in the, in the other direction, uh, just absolutely fantastic way to, to open the, the, the show. And then, you know, we transition to modern times car coming down the road with a, uh, police officer in pursuit. Yeah, you know, I completely, I forget. Oh, yeah, this is another. I mean, it, it's ridiculous. There's two scenes that are amazing opening scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see a, a police officer uh, pulling a man over. The, the guy is like, you know, he sees a cop in his back uh, window. He's you know, a shit, kind of a rednecky looking guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got like a he's got something in his pickup bed. He's got a tarp over it. Police officer comes up, uh, black man. He's wearing a yellow uh, mask over his face. Yep. And he's asking the guy about it. Um, you know, and he spots this thing. It's a Rorschach mask. So he goes back to the car, you know, pretends to call it him. He's trying to get his gun released because in this time, uh, the guns are actually a, a pretty heavily under lock and key. Mm-hmm. There's, and this is our first uh, our first uh, time we see a detective. The detectives are almost like characters. They have like a superhero type persona. This one's name is Panda, who just seems to be like a complete hard ass. Like he won't release the gun. And he's got all these like stipulations. All this guy's like pretty sure this guy's going to shoot him. Right. And so, so finally, he, he goes to release the gun. It doesn't work. He doesn't have to send it again. Finally, he pulls the gun loose and looks up just in time to get shot three times. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the guy who shot him walks up and throws a head of lettuce in his lap. Right. And so then we find, or then we see uh, Don Johnson, who's, I think that's where we go next, right? Actually, I don't think that's correct. I'm trying to think what happens after this. And this next part, uh, I can't really oh. say much because I don't want to spoil everything. It's, it's pretty brilliant. We see Regina King cracking right. two or three eggs into yes. a, a glass bowl, and they make a smiley face, yep. which is basically the first image we see in the comic, The Watchmen. There's mm-hmm. so many parallels and so much stuff you pick up on the second time, especially. Mm-hmm. Another nice, uh, if you notice, pay attention to the theme of time. You always hear like a clock ticking in the background. There's, you know... You see, like, everything lines up at, like, 12 o'clock and that kind of stuff. That's mm-hmm. another theme from the comics. Um, it's like the Doomsday Clock, which is, again, is a real thing. Yep. In the comics, it was, like, getting ever so close because um, that's the Russians invaded Afghanistan in this alternate time uh, time span. And, you know, while it happened in real life, uh, in this alternate time span, it was, like, the first confrontation since Dr. Manhattan was in there. So it was, like, you know, they basically set the Doomsday Clock for, like, one minute. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, you're right. They go to they go to Regina King uh, first, and then one of the things that I love about this show 
is, and this is a hallmark of good writing, is a lot of information is given in the background or, you know, it's not, you, you don't... It's not exposition. You don't hear her go, well, anyways, like, like for example, I, what you're going to say here is, um, so she's, she's talking about her job as a cook. She said she used to be a cop. Mm-hmm. Um, She retired because she got shot on this thing called the White Knight. Yep. I mean, she's on this bakery, you know, for a bit. And then all of a sudden, this little boy, this, you know, super blonde, blue-eyed boy goes, did you get your uh, bakery because of red fredations? Yes. And you see in the background, there's there's a poster that says, you know, the most important, or like four important presidents or something like that. And it's George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Richard Nixon, and a picture of Robert Redford. So, right. so you get this idea, okay, Robert Redford is president in this in this timeline. And yeah, he mentions red fredations. Uh, she kind of, she gives a little bit of, uh, you know, like backstory and stuff like that, that, that we need, but it's done very artfully where she talks about how, um, you know, during this time period, uh, police officers didn't wear masks. So everyone knew who the police officers were because apparently police officers have, are being targeted in this timeline. Uh, and, and she says, that uh, you know, because of that she retired from it. She she mentions that she was born in Vietnam, uh, and we're given the information. If you didn't know, if you didn't read the you know the graphic novel, that it's become a state uh, and everything. The, you know, the teacher asks if she was born there before or after it was a state. But yeah, this guy this guy says, uh, you know, did you get it because of red fredations? And her son uh, freaks out and starts beating him. <laughs> Right. Yeah, then it gets to them uh, driving home. You know, they're talking about it, how he's like, well, that's racist. She's like, well, he's not racist, but I mean, he could, you know, turn out to be racist. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, and this is like the timing of this is so perfect with like, you know, I mean, uh, then again, to be fair, I suppose there's so many like, you know, these horrible instances that people have to protest that, you know, this is going to have come out any time in the last two or three years and it would have been perfect timing. Right. Just like the recent headlines, you know, it's a lot of a whole theme of like racial injustice is behind this entire like program, which, Again, it's just kind of weird to put it in this context, but it works perfectly. Yeah, it it really does work work very well. And yeah, so they're driving along home, and all of a sudden you hear a siren go off. Mm-hmm. They pull over to the side of the road, and like these little tiny bits of squid just like start falling out of the sky. They're on, they're everywhere. They're on the windshield. They're on the ground. You know, they're just in everything. You know, people have umbrellas. You just walk around with them at all times. So this is obviously something that happens pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. And then she just kind of like you know scrapes them off the uh, the windshield and just goes about her day. There's a there's a cleaning crew that comes by. She pulls up to her house and it's got like a little squid uh, on it. Where it's just like this is what we do. We cl- clean up the squids on the street afterwards. And like I said, and she I, has a very, very nice large house for a cop. Mm-hmm. Another reference to the Redfordations. I mean, mm-hmm. we later learn, I don't know if it's in this episode or not, that, you know, Redford did basically compensate anybody who could directly trace her history to victims of the 1921 massacre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, so it's all, all of it's very good world building because we're like you said, I, I think they want to try to make this accessible to people who haven't read the graphic novel, obviously, but they don't want to hit everyone over the head with, you know, a bunch of information. I think they do a really good job of putting a lot of this. Yeah, stuff they definitely the do a great job. I mean, they basically, the, the world is a hundred percent perfect and complete, but they're not, like you said, they're not beating over the head with like, Oh, Hey, look, Oh, you mean president Rod, Robert Redford. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just like you, it's much like the comic graphic novel, whatever, where you look at shit in the background and like, Wait a second! How many stars are on that flag? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, exactly. It's just all that kind of stuff is just sprinkled throughout the background, and it's never like hitting you over the head. You know, it's just like you kind of like if you're. Pay- That's why I said on the rewatch, I noticed so much more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like like you said, the details are really what make this as good as it is. So she, uh, you know, she pulls up to to her house, uh, talks to her her husband and everything. Um, like I said, I don't know if they put the the thing with the squid in there just to to signal to everyone, hey, this is this is not from the movie. This is from the graphic novel, or if there's going to be more to it or not. Because, I, like I said, I haven't seen it yet, but it, you know, it's it's definitely interesting. Uh, at one, yeah, def- definitely, I'm sure it is a nod to like, hey, we're going with the comics. But I mean. It is cool, like a little nice piece of like world, like, oh shit, it's like 30 years out and they're still having these squid attacks. Right. But she gets a, she gets a page that says, uh, what's it say? Custard's last stand, I think, or something like that. Yeah. Which I think is, is some sort of code for, you know, officer down or, or, you know, they're going to, to war against this cavalry. No, that's what it is because the seventh cavalry was a Custard's, uh, unit. Yeah. So yeah, they're saying Custer's last stand. The Seventh Cavalry is back. You know, she, um, as mentioned, you know, was you know in confrontation with them during this White Knight thing. Mm-hmm. I've watched it all twice. I don't, I don't want to give too much away accidentally because I don't know exactly what all they say about that. But they definitely build upon that White Knight thing later. Okay, well that that will definitely be interesting then. But yeah, so she she's got to go in right away. She, uh, you know, she she goes into the. I think she actually no, she goes to. The she goes Oklahoma. to Oklahoma. Yeah, she goes to the trailer park first. Oh no! Yeah, yeah, that's oh yeah. First of all, I love her theme. Um, her, oh, what's her? I can't remember her character's name. Uh, uh, Misty Knight, right? No, no, no. That's her alter. Her alter ego, is Sister Knight. Oh, Sister Knight. Yeah, and um, just the theme is so cool. Oh, my God, she goes to her bakery, and there's a sign that says "Opening soon." Yes. Yeah, and there's a guy in a wheelchair uh, sitting outside there who said who asks her if she thinks he could lift 200 pounds which is a really <laughs> interesting question uh he i think he's i think he's the one that's also holding a newspaper i noticed this that said uh vite presumed dead uh for those that haven't read the graphic novel that's ozymandias's uh real name who is I, the the villain i guess it, it's hard it's hard to really say that there's like a central villain or or, or not but he's the closest thing to a villain in sure. the in the graphic novel um so yeah. and I, and this guy is played by uh who i haven't seen in a long time louis gossett junior hooray yeah yeah absolutely and uh so he uh so it's clear that they're they're indicating that Ozymandias is missing and presumed sure. dead, I guess, because uh, right. it's it says declared dead. It doesn't like so. The only way that could be the case is if like, they didn't we, have the body. They can't find him, yeah. right? Um, so that makes me think that he's definitely going to show up at some point in this show. Uh, and yeah, and, but, but so she, she, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to no, say, so at she, the same time, uh, Doctor Manhattan's. I'm I'm assuming he's on Mars or somewhere. Good guess. Yeah, I know you can't answer that, but anyway, go he's ahead. On Mars or somewhere, right? I mean, he's out there, <laughs> out of this world. <laughs> uh, but yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yes. I, I love her theme. It's actually Trent Reznor and somebody else. I think do a lot of the music on here. Mm-hmm. But it's like a cool, like a like a like a techno kind of theme. She gets on, she basically puts on like a little spray of black over her eyes. 
He puts a mask over. She's dressed kind of like a nun. She gets this uh, badass car. Is that a Monte Carlo? Maybe I'm not sure. It is, yes. And she blasts off to the trailer park and she just like snacks at somebody and throws them in her trunk. Yeah. Almost I mean, seemingly beats, randomly. And she just beats a shit on this guy, actually. <laughs> Angela Abar, goes, that's her name. That's Angela Abar. You're right. Yep. Yeah. And again, the uh, alliteration AA. Mm-hmm. Like Gordon Guftinson or whatever the fuck his name was. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, like La, uh, LA, uh, Atoma. Yeah. The guy dated the world's most famous physical therapist. <laughs> yeah. So she beats this fucking guy up, throws him in the trunk, takes him to the uh, headquarters. Um, we see, uh, Don Johnson is there. He's a chief. He doesn't seem to wear a mask. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I suppose he's a public figure, you know? Yep. He's like the I mean, only one that doesn't seem to, to wear a mask. And it seems like every, like people know that he's, you know, the head of the police. Yeah, we see uh, we see this uh, this guy with a reflective mask, a looking glass, played by Tim Blake Nelson. Mm-hmm. I think he's probably one of my favorite characters in the series. I, I really like him. He's really good in the role. Yeah, I liked him a lot right away too. So I, it's, it's, you'll see it with the later episodes. There's so many good characters. Yeah, she's uh, she wants him to interrogate him, uh, and so he has this. What's what are they called the device? The dome. Dome. So uh, Tim Blake Nelson puts this guy in the dome, and he like he's asking him these questions, and like there's a flicker of like, uh, no, you see Warshak's image, you see mm-hmm. like you know racial that kind of stuff. Yep. And, and he takes him and he goes, well, you know, he goes, well, you know, he tells him like, he's lying. I can tell he's lying by the way his eyes kind of widen and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So they take him, uh, they take him out, and then they're about to. He's like, oh, sorry about that. You know, we just had to be sure. And then Angel Abar just pops out and throws him in a room, <laughs> starts beating beat- the fuck out of him. Yeah, she beats him so badly, you just see, like, fluid spilling out from under the drawer. The yeah. drawer. Uh, and then she comes out and she says, uh, Cattle Ranch. <laughs> like, that's where they are. Yep. I mean, immediately he gives it up after she uh, knocks all the fluids out of his body. Right. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so they, they go to... Uh, they go to... Uh, you mentioned it, You mentioned it, and I... What'd you say? Oh, isn't it the meeting at the headquarters next? I can't remember. Like I said, I've, I, I need to go to the article just to see where I'm at because I've watched them all twice now. Yeah, I think they do. But you mentioned it, and I, for, I forgot. It, it was in between, uh, you know, her her scenes because it wasn't like a, you know, a steady flow of Sister Night. Uh, there was it was broken up a little bit in there. But in between her scenes, we we see John Johnson seeing Oklahoma. Uh, a black production of Oklahoma. And yeah. that's when he gets the news that this guy's been shot. He, we see him in the hospital. He's not dead. He's alive on, on a ventilator and everything. And, and Don, Don Johnson immediately is making sure no one knows his name. You know, mm-hmm. everybody signed in there. The security is ultra tight. He doesn't want anybody to know his identity. Yep. And he goes to, he personally goes to his wife's, the, the, the guy who got shot's wife's house, their house. And, tells her what happened, says that they're going to transfer him to their secure location, but he's taking care of all the security. He gets the cover story up so that, you know, no one knows he's a police officer and says that she can, she can go and see him. They're going to take care of him and everything. So there's a, he's making sure he goes, did you tell anybody is he's trying to figure out if there's any way that she knew, you know, if somebody found his ID out, you know, if it wasn't just a random stop. Right. So they, uh, they, then, like you said, they they have the big meeting where they have a a tape or, or something like a you know a video from the Seventh Cavalry. They're all dressed in Rorschach masks. Apparently, 
uh, this, you know, like racist sect, this white supremacist sect has taken up the mantle of Rorschach. I, I would imagine. Yeah, as a guy who, uh, due to the COVID, couldn't go to the barber and has a pretty short haircut and I have a Rorschach wrist on my, uh, uh, Rorschach tattoo on my wrist. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I think I would, I would think that some of the people who were fans of Rorschach from the comic book maybe are a little upset about this, but. I would say that... Uh, See, the beauty of the whole concept of Warshack is that the symbol means whatever you want it to. So, ex- I mean, it's exactly. no different than it was. Yeah, and that's what I think... That's what I think the reason that they did this is because people can take symbols and use them how they want to. And that's obviously what these people are doing. Yeah, and a lot of it is because Warshack's journal like that he mm-hmm. releases is supposedly what was in the comic, you know? And, like, there's a big conspiracy that people think that, you know... The squid was actually man-made, which is correct. Yep. But also, like, uh, Rorschach, uh, there's some controversy that whether his language is, like, I suppose it is somewhat racist in the sense that he's, like, very cut and dry about everything. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if there's ever any direct racist comments, but I can see how a racist could latch on to somebody with such, like, a black and white worldview. Sure. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, right. But anyway, so they they all, as you said, the the... Clock. They got done freshly fucking their cousins, and they they go make this cool video. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where they're all dressed up and they're saying, "Hey, you know, your time's coming. We're coming back." TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. That yeah, kind of in stuff. Time, TikTok, TikTok. Yep. And and as you said, you know that that clock thing is a big. Uh, it's a big theme that runs through this. So and in the comic, there was a whole issue that mm-hmm. was like uh, symmetrical, like or went like front and backwards, I believe. Yeah. So Don Johnson says, hey, um, we need the heat is on, motherfuckers. Right. <laughs> it's like we need it's lips incorporated time. We we need uh, we need all the the weapons Tubs. released. <laughs> we need all the weapons released. We need to protect ourselves. Uh, Panda, who is in a big panda mask. He's got a big slob guy with like a panda head. He says, hey. You've got to, you know, you all have to feel the ma- a majority of the police force needs to feel that they are in danger of their lives in order for me to release the weapons from the armory. And he asks, uh, what's his name? Red and uh, Red Menace. Yeah. Red Menace and Sister Knight. If they feel that they're in danger, they both say yes. The rest of the the police officers are based just basically cheer. And he's like, yeah, that's that's it. Uh, yeah, for sure. Code four or whatever. You can tell everyone, you can tell everyone hates Panda because of what a stickler he is for the rules. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, they think this fucking Seventh Cavalry is back and they want to go and just like smash their fucking heads in. Yeah, and they, by the way, they they very clearly threatened every police officer's life in that video they just watched. Yes. Yeah, and they uh, again, I can't. Hmm, they they describe the White Knight in this episode. No. Okay, I'm not going to spoil it then. All right. Um, but yeah, they, they have every reason to dislike the 7th Cavalry, we'll say at this point. Right. So they, you know, they release the guns. They go to this cattle ranch uh, in another in another pretty cool scene, actually. They're they're approaching through the, the gate and everything. There's a bunch of, of cows, you know, kind of running around. We see inside the actual farmhouse and everybody is opening up these watches and prying out these batteries. Uh, and yeah, these old, uh, and, and the funny thing is for those who have read the, uh, the comic, uh, 
again, it's, uh, these batteries are obsolete. No one really mm-hmm. has these anymore because Dr. Manhattan is just like easily synthesized. Like, you know, basically, uh, imagine Tesla like 30 years earlier. Right. And, and everybody has one. That's, that's what happens. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're like a huge, huge pile of watch batteries and they're, they're working on this very hard. They see that, uh, the, like this alarm goes off where they can tell that cops are approaching. So they're all getting ready to, to get out of there. I think there's four of them in total. Two of them come out uh, onto this truck with a uh, machine gun on it. Now it's not a proper, oh, yeah. it's not a proper. No, no, it, it's like a, it's like a 50 caliber machine gun on a tripod. Yeah. And he starts firing at them. They obliterating the cows. <laughs> they go and, and you know, they're hiding behind the cows so they don't get shot. And Sister Knight's there, the, you know, the great Regina King, who's excellent in this, by the way. And she's, you know, she's got her gun. She's, she's, oh, by, the, by the way, a cow would not stop. These can go through engine blocks. That's what a 50 caliber can do. Yeah. And it's, it is like, you know, it, it's, it's making a bloody mess out of the cow. It's properly portrayed, I feel. It, it's, it's, a, this one gun is for sure a game changer. Ask uh, the Germans. Right. Exactly. But so she's she's you know hiding out trying to. No, if you ever go to hell, <laughs> she's hiding out trying not to get hit. Uh, he runs out of ammo. He's going to reload, and uh, the red menace kind of nods at her like, "Yeah, go for it." And she you know runs up. She shoots uh, the one guy. Uh, ends up uh, getting the drop and killing the other guy. And then they they get in the house, but they've got a plane in the backyard. Uh, so she she. Um, you know, gets to the house, but the plane's taken off, and she says to John Johnson, who's who's we've seen, we don't know where they are, but we've seen he's in some sort of, you know, vehicle or whatever with monitors around, and she's like, you know, he's right below you, and then we find out that, you know, they're in, him and the woman that he's with are in this flying police cruiser, basically, and... Yeah, it's basically uh, Ozymandias, or not Ozymandias, it's Archimedes from the, the comics, yeah. this floating, like, kind of hovering, like, majestic type uh ship yeah exactly and they they end up shooting the plane out of the sky uh and they crash as a result this is a very funny scene too and i think this i think this really shows the relationship almost as much as the dinner that they have shortly after this but shows the relationship between uh don johnson's character the chief and uh regina king's character uh, when he comes out and he looks at her, she's like, she's all cr- like, she looks freaked out because they just crashed. And he looks at her and he's like, are you okay? <laughs> right. And she just laughs like, what the fuck? Right, uh, yeah, and I do want to point out too that when she first enters the house, she shoots someone and that's the guy who shot the officer earlier. Yes. Yeah, that's the shooter. Like, So she gets the shooter. Not that she knows it, but she did. Yeah. And then they, they mentioned that they found uh, watch batteries uh, well, they they have a dinner where her family's there. Don Johnson's uh, and his wife are there. Uh, he talks about is she, that, what's her? Is that Francine Farmer or something like that? I believe that's her name. Yeah, she's she's I like been her. Quite, she's very good. Yeah, she's, she's an been, unforgiven. Yep, exactly. But uh, he he she mentions that he was in Oklahoma. He starts singing because they're all like, sing, sing, sing. We want you to sing. So he starts. Right. Singing. We find out she didn't even tell her husband about Oklahoma. She's like, <laughs> yes. yeah, he would have liked it. <laughs> yeah. And what I really like, this is, this. Ha- I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, please. And, well, I was just going to say, I like the characterization of it. It's little things like that 
that really build character and build relationships between characters. And that anyone that wants to learn how to write a screenplay or anything like that, study stuff like this. Simple lines like this, ways that people actually like interact with each other. That's what really makes it real. Yeah, what this this is another present theme throughout this. It's it's an, there's a lot of role reversals. Like Angela Abar's uh, husband, Cal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like very much like the stay at home husband. You notice it a lot in here. Like he says, "I'll," you know, he immediately says, "I'll take the kids." That sort mm-hmm. of thing, you know. Yeah, like he's always he's like the doting husband. He, you know, he's just like a you know like the equivalent of like the 1950s, like you know, housewife. He doesn't work probably because of the red Fredations. You know, they clearly have a decent amount of money. They live in a nice big house. Mm-hmm. Uh, she owns this bakery that she apparently never opens. Right. Which I like. It's called. Uh... A touch or no milk in Hanoi. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's uh, later. The, the she she actually does not. She makes mooncakes. I think in the opening scene, mm-hmm. which is yeah. what she says her. Well, she says her bakery specializes in right. <laughs> yeah, and then there's also kind of like racially too. Like you'll notice uh, later, like you know, there's not like I mean the whole there's a lot of racism in the whole thing with Seventh Cavalry and stuff. But mm-hmm. I mean, like a lot of African-Americans have prominent positions in the police department, you know, yep. there's really within the police department, there's really no concept of race. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they all, they all hate the Seventh Cavalry who you'll see. I mean, later, I mean, obviously in this, they're, they're a racist organization, but I mean, they're all the police are against them. I mean, they, they're united. You know, mm-hmm. it's like team blue versus the rest. Right. But yeah, yeah, we see a, we see a little thing where Angela and Todd Johnson slip away to do a little bit of cocaine. Yes, yes. Yep, that's a uh, that's an eighties holdover from the from the graphic novels. But they 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 go outside before he's you know getting ready to leave and everything, and and she says, yeah, they found a bunch of watch batteries, and she says, you know, it's the old watches the synthetic lithium i think she says uh the ones that caused you know that gave off radiation or whatever and he says okay so they're trying to make some kind of cancer bomb and you know he's like yeah you know we gotta you know this is something to worry about obviously um so he don johnson goes home uh she she goes uh with her husband and then don johnson at home gets a phone call that says the the guy that was shot at the beginning of the episode is woken up and he says, I want to go down there, you know, personally, you know, in my uniform and everything and, and talk to him and stuff. So he, you know, she doesn't, the wife doesn't he want doesn't, to. He doesn't literally say on the phone, I'm going to put my uniform on and everything. No. But no. He, yeah, just come down, chief. But the, uh, his wife is like, oh, I don't want you to go alone. He's like, oh, maybe I'll have one of the guys drive me. But he doesn't. He goes alone. And we see that his house is set off from the road. It's guarded by several police officers. So, yeah, obviously people know who who he is and they want to guard it. We also see before he leaves that there's a picture of him. Uh, I think, well, I guess I don't know if it's a picture of his dad with his grandpa or, or if it's supposed to be him. I mean, Don Johnson is older, but I can't, I can't imagine that's supposed to be him as a kid during 1921. Um, but it's, you, you know, it's, it's him and, and it's kind of, it kind of gives us the idea that like, Hey, they've been here a long time like they might have been yeah. here again he's like a police chief but he lives in like a palatial like mansion mm-hmm. with like tons of acreage like your classic like a farm so he's clearly got some kind of resources much like angela abar beyond what his position would dictate right so he goes uh he he goes over a rumble strip 
or not uh, well, spike strip, which uh, destroys his car. Yeah, his so tires are shredded. He he comes out and he basically says, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> and a spotlight flashes on him. Uh, she, uh, we go to Angela, who is uh, fucking her husband. <laughs> it looks like they're in a closet or something. It's weird. Yeah, I'm not sure. But uh, the phone is ringing, and the husband's like, "Hey, maybe I sh- we should answer that." And she's like, "Oh, I'm almost there." <laughs> and then it keeps ringing. He's like, "You know, the kids are gonna wake like, up." I finished like two minutes ago, so I'm good. <laughs> so they go and answer it, and somebody on the other line says, "You know, hey, uh, you better get out to uh, this tree. Uh, you know, at, at such and such crossroads, there's something you're gonna want to see there." And he goes, don't wear a mask. I know who you are. So she grabs. It may have been the Mothman. Yeah. She, she, one of the coolest things. It's a really, it's a really like small little detail, but I thought it was so cool. She goes and lays down on her bed, just kind of pushes up on the headboard and it like sinks in like a secret compartment and uh, she grabs a shotgun from it. Right. I thought that was just the best. And then uh, oh, yeah. she gets into her car and, and drives off there. She gets there and sees Lou Gossett Jr. in his wheelchair. Uh, apparently he can lift 200 pounds because John Johnson ha- is hanging by a tree, uh, it, you know, at, at this tree and he's just kind of staring at her and we see in his lap is a note from the beginning of the movie or beginning of the uh, the TV show, the episode uh, that his father wrote that says, you know, take care of the, the boy. And so that that Luke Gossett Jr. is that kid, obviously. Um, and he's hanged uh, Don Johnson, the chief of police there. Uh, and then that's kind of where we end. <laughs> and we have well, to you see know, what's going to happen. Fair. To be fair, uh, Don Johnson belongs in a tree because he's a nut. (laughs) Some might say. Yep. (laughs) But I was, I was enthralled by this. I, you know. Yeah, as far as first episodes go, I I would say this is like on par with like Game of Thrones, the very Mm -hmm. first episode. Like, if you watch this episode and you don't like it, then don't watch the show, but you'll probably be sucked in. This is a very good first episode. I was a little hesitant because I knew it was Damon Lindelof, and I've seen Lost. I haven't seen... Uh, the, the Leftovers? Yeah, The Leftovers, the other one he did. I've, I've heard doesn't that your, Doesn't your sister really like The Leftovers? Yes, she does. And I've heard oh! it's... <laughs> I've heard it's very good, and uh, and I've heard that... It's um, fucking dumb. Is it? I don't know. I haven't seen it. It looks dumb. Okay. I don't know. It doesn't look like it's appealing to me. It's like a bunch of people crying about their problems, probably. I've heard it's very good, and I hear it has... Everyone vanished! I, I hear it has a satisfactory conclusion, unlike Lost. So, um, But I haven't seen it, so I was, was a little... The whole time. I was a little hesitant, but, the you know, um, I, this, to me, I, like, this is fantastic. Yeah, I was uh, even more hesitant than you because I love the Watchmen a lot, mm-hmm. and uh, the idea of them doing it. First of all, them doing a series of it is just almost like blasphemy because Alan Moore has gone on record a thousand times saying he, you know, he's what he's done is done, you know. And I hate the fact that like you know people so license it, you know, and have the people you know do like you know there's a series of comics that mm-hmm. reference it, you know, there's you know yep. the, the shitty movie in the series. So I, 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 I so wanted to hate this, but I kept kind of watching the the Onions 80 Club because I like the reviews. Mm. 
I had to read that. And finally, about five episodes, I'm like, all right, I'll watch it. And oh my God, I, I'm shocked at how good it is. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. And another thing we forgot to mention, and I think you probably already know what's going on here, but we see a uh, another manor, like some lush rolling green fields. Mm. There's a giant, like, estate, and we see a man there uh, at a typewriter. Yes. Yep. Yeah, I, I totally forgot to away? I totally forgot to mention Jeremy Irons at his royal typewriter. Yeah, Jeremy Irons is amazing, and I think you know who he's playing, right? Yes, yes, I I I, I think I do. Should we spoil who it for? Any, it should we spoil it for anybody yeah. that's? Yeah, I, I mean, it's pretty obvious who it is. You think so? I think it is. Okay. I mean, just by the the attitude alone, he does it perfectly. Uh, uh, Adrian Veidt, uh, we yeah. see uh, Ozymandias. some weird, mysterious circumstances. Ozymandias is typing. Uh, some woman is uh, filleting him at the time. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. Which, uh, you know, it's, which is nice. Yeah. And then uh, he he asks, I can't remember what he says to them, but he's like, you know, he's just so like above them. They're obviously his servants. Mm. Uh, he's just there typing, and uh, it's like, wow, Jeremy Irons is uh, Ozymandias. I, and spoiler I, alert, he is amazing in this role. Every, I can't even I, – I, I wish you had already seen this so we could just spoil the whole series. Of right. It's so good. I got – yeah, I, I definitely got the feeling that he was Ozymandias. Um, but I, like, I also got the feeling – and I don't know if this is right or not – but I also got the feeling that, like, these servants are, like <sighs> – like robots that he built or 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 something or kids that he raised that uh that never saw the light of day. I mean one of them uh hands him a horseshoe to fucking cut a cake. He had to cut open his cake. <laughs> I was like, what is this? Is this dude a robot or something? So I don't know exactly what's going on there, but yeah. yeah they do ex- they do explain what's going on there. But I figured I figured the age was right as well. Um, you know, where it could be him. And like I said, yeah, yeah. like I said, hooray I figured he'd show for, up. Hooray for them for having age-appropriate characters. I yeah, mean, Jeremy Irons is Ozymandias. Jeremy Irons is what sixty at least, right? Yeah, I would say I'd say probably late sixties. Yeah, and that's about about right. Yeah, I mean, uh, other characters from the comics show up. Like maybe one. Uh, I don't want to spoil it too much, but the, the person who plays it is fantastic. All right, again, age-appropriate. I mean, it's uh, I can't Silk say Spectre. enough about how good this is. What's that? Is it Silk Spectre? Does she show up in this episode? No. Oh, well, it is her. And she's played by Jean Smart. And wow. Oh, okay. So good. I can see that. So good. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. A, but... a woman actually blows up a car with a bazooka. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty happy with, uh, you know, with the show and it, it I, only gets better. This is an instant classic. I mean, you, uh, I'm, I'm eager to to hear you watch. Just watch the entire thing. We'll do nine episodes next week. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. Oh, uh, but yeah, no that's that. I had to watch Cannonball Run. There we go. <laughs> we'll half about maybe thirty minutes, but that was no good. Oh, uh, but yeah, that's that's our episode for the day. Uh, we will, or for the week, we will we'll see you next week. Uh, we'll, we'll see you next week. We'll, we'll, we'll keep talking about uh, the Watchmen, so keep watching the Watchmen. Cody was a wife beater. <laughs> he was. He was. Still yep. is, probably. Yep. You would imagine. Um, Dana Burger, why don't you shut the fuck up? <laughs> I saw uh, recently, I don't know where, there was a picture, not in a uh, TV show, because, I mean, she hasn't fucking done anything, but the one that plays Karen, I saw a picture of her recently. She still looks pretty good. 
The one that what is she? Stacy Stacy Keenan, I think is her name. The one that yes. plays uh, yeah. Dana. She's a Stacy Keach. She's a uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the host of uh, the new Twilight Zone. Um, no, the host of American Crime. Oh yeah, that's right. She's um, but anyway, Stacy Keenan. She's an assistant district attorney for I think for Los Angeles. Like she- Mr. District Attorney. <laughs> Just because your name's Mr. District Attorney doesn't mean you have to be a district attorney. <laughs> I I mean, I would love it if somebody got arrested and was being prosecuted by her and when she when she was cross examining him, he was like, Well, Dana Berger, listen. <laughs> this is how it you know, happened. You know, there's actually quite a, uh, not quite a few, but I can think of at least two other like child stars who are attorneys. Uh, the guy who played uh, Mikey on the uh, the Goonies. Oh yeah, yeah. And also uh, Josh Savino, who played Paul Pfeiffer on uh, the Wonder Years. Oh really? I thought he was uh, Marilyn Manson. <laughs> well, yeah, he sucked his own dick so much that he got bored of it. If you can imagine such a thing, and he's like, yeah, I'll get into law. <laughs> That's good practice for the law. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, so we will see you next week. Uh, tell some friends about the show, you know, and everything. And, and uh, I don't know, keep current with us, whatever. This town needs an enema. Exactly. We'll see you next time. Bye. See ya.